You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at FNB Wealth and Investment. And of course, the FNB and First Rand and Remgro yeah. and RMB Group, very much in the focus because at this time, actually, no, it was 17.45 last night, mm. South African time, that all these flurries of cautionary announcements came out and you sent out tweets and saying, this is major, this is big, this is that. Just, just give me the synopsis behind this whole story, please. Okay, to be honest, no one knows the real reason. They have said they will make an announcement as to why they're doing this next year sometime, in the beginning of next year. So no one really knows the underlying reason, if it's anything more than unlocking the discount in Rembrandt and in RMB holdings. Because as you said, both those shares up about 5% on the day. And maybe it's just simply an exercise of saying there's a discount in these holding companies. The holding company itself hasn't done anything much. I'm talking RMB holdings now. You know, it's got it's gone into properties, but in relation to the size of first round, the property investments are minuscule. That why does this vehicle exist? Let's unbundle it and unlock the discount. So the reason may be as simple and defined as that. And then Rembrandt owning into First Rand and into RMBIH simply just followed suit. Or there could be another reason. And it also could be... I, 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 I genuinely don't know. It could be because the fact that what you've just said, I mean, you've, you've mentioned, uh, I think, four different entities just now. Maybe it's just too convoluted for, for this day and age. It could easily be. And, and we do know that holding companies... Because effectively, it's a control holding company. You know, they've gone out of favor a long time ago. Well, let's not call it holding company. Let's call it investment trusts. They've gone out of favor in the stock market a long, long time ago. And they all operate at a discount to the underlying valuation of their assets. Yes. So maybe it's just a case of let's do it. Because what we do know is the the big shareholders in R&B Holdings are not trying to liquidate their holdings. They've got, they could have done that already just by selling RMBH shares. You know, so it was a listed entity, as we all know. So it's not a case of all of a sudden there's going to be this deluge of first-rand shares on the market. I, I doubt that very much. And that's why first-rand was down 3% at one stage. You see it's down just under 2%. Yes. So obviously the market's now worried that, Shoot, are they doing this and then they're all going to flog their first-hand shares? I doubt that in the extreme, by the way. Because you could have, if you needed the money or wanted to diversify or wanted to do something else with your money, you could have just sold RMB holding shares. And effectively, the discount you were selling at in the bigger scheme of things wasn't that great. Okay. So what do you do now? I mean, you're not a short-term trader. You're not a hedge fund manager. You're not someone with two algorithmic programmers sitting on either side of you. Now, what do you do now? No. What do you say about the various entities that are involved in this uh, monumentous announcement that was made last night? What do you do? Yeah. Look, we, we and not through any particular design, we own first-hand shares directly. So other than the price effect of on first hand, which I think the first hand will recover. I think this is a temporary thing that's falling in the first hand share price. Yes. That's just a market reaction. We own first hand directly. So we don't own RMBH 
And even though some of our clients own some Rembrandt, Rembrandt's not in, for want of a better word, what we call our house view portfolio. In other words, the big money's not in Rembrandt, although some clients and in different mandates, et cetera, et cetera, do own a bit of Rembrandt. So by and large, as I said, other than the price effect on first rand, we're not really affected by this. We own first rand. We like the banks. We think they're cheap. We, I wouldn't call it optimistic about South Africa because that implies things are going to, things are going to uh, go well in South Africa, but we are of the view that things can improve improve in South Africa, even though the improvement will be a long way from things going well, and that under that scenario, the valuation of the shares, et cetera, banks are particularly cheap, so we're going to, we're going to hold. And I hope that our view on the future that things will improve does, in fact, happen. Good. Okay. Well, let's see what the hedge fund managers do and uh, what the announcement is in 2020 as to why they're doing this. I don't know. I've got my own views, but I'll leave that to 2020 yeah, as well. But there, could, there could very easily be um, the hedge fund managers saying, oh, there's value unlock here, buy RMBH short first rand. But that in itself is also temporary. Yeah. So there could be some arbitrage going on. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And people are trying to crunch the numbers now and, and trying to work it out. And I'm sure it will be worked out to everyone's satisfaction. But anyway, so it's a great story. I mean, when did this thing start? It must have been in the 1980s. I mean, the whole uh, yes. RMB. You know what, Wayne? I can remember. I came to South Africa on the 6th of February, 1988. And I worked on the fifth floor of the Twin Towers west of Santon City, when Santon City yeah. was a standalone building and there were fields around it. In fact, I was given a company car, which was an old BMW 323i. I used to park it in a field, which is now the Michelangelo Hotel, walk across the road, go up to the fifth floor, and half of the floor that I was on was occupied by RMB. The other half was the company yeah. that I worked for. And of course, the companies have gone in two very different directions. That's since then, mm. but this was a tiny company in 1988. Yes, the three three partners now. Excuse me if my numbers are slightly out and my dates are slightly out. The three partners started it, I think 1983, 1984. Yes. Either at the start or at a later stage, Rembrandt became involved, and Johann Rupert was the chairman. Then the first transformation of the company was when they bought momentum from Sunlum because momentum was just sold to Sunlum by the old Volkskas, which is now APSA, uh, to part pay for APSA's purchase of Bangkok. Yes. So Sunlum owned momentum for, I think, a week, and RMB Holdings bought momentum. And then, of course, the truly big one was when they bought Southern Life and First National Bank in the late 90s from Anglo-American. It's quite a story and quite a lot of wealth as well. Mm. Obviously, books are going to come out. Okay, let's Ooh, yes. get on to other things now. We're being uh, far too um, RMB and first-round-centric. Lewis Group numbers were really, really good. I mean, this is uh, mm. sort of uh, this is sort of reinforcing your SA stocks are cheap story because look at this thing, up yes. 13 14% today. Really, really good yes. numbers. Yes, they were good. And, I mean, I, it's so easy to call a false dawn and I am optimistic by nature, so I look for green shoots wherever I go, and I fully understand that. But I've been to lots of company presentations in the last couple of weeks, and you may have even spoken about them. But I'm getting a fairly consistent message from 
famous brands from Spur. Even this morning at MediClinic, they said the South African operations are okay. Yes. Okay, whether MediClinic is a direct comparative to how the SA consumer is faring, I don't know. But there seems to be, and of course, you know, the, the pick and pay trading update was good. The checkers trading update was acceptable. You know, all of these things, I'd hate to make the statement that things are getting better. But I hopefully reasonably confident in making the statement that at least it doesn't seem to be getting worse. It seems to be stabilizing. Yeah. So there may be a sort of a, not a dead cat bounce, but certainly a recovery from these oversold levels when it comes to the share prices, yeah. that is. And, there, and then and after that, then the real story starts. And can we continue? Yeah. Because, I mean, Wayne, let's get on to economics now. Have you seen the CPI inflation rate? 3.7% yes. down from 4.1%. Yes. It is. It's, it's, an, it's a multi-year low. And surely... Hmm. I know it's, it's the obvious thing to say, and it's the headline you grabber. So. You've got to cut interest rates tomorrow. You've got you to cut interest rates so. by at least 50 basis points, maybe even be bold okay. and go 100 basis points or 1%. But they're not going to do yeah. that. But on the other they're hand, this okay. is really the no, open exactly. door to cut rates. Now, one of our group economists came and chatted to us yesterday in a meeting that we had. And I won't mention his name. Why? But he's, he's colloquial nickname in First National Bank is Dr. Doom, because he's not the most optimistic guy. <laughs> and unfortunately, for the last three years, he's been right, by the way. Okay. Okay. So, so he has been right. So he came in and he gave the presentation and he spoke and he said, you know, if this happens, if that happens, and the whole lot of ifs, if, if all of these things happen, you know, the economy can actually get a little bit better next year. So I still said to him, Mr. X, who are you? Why have they sent a lookalike who looks just like the person I expected to get here? It's an imposter. You're a clone. What happened to the real person? And he laughed because I didn't believe it. He was actually saying that, you know, if this happens and if that happens, things could actually start improving. So I don't know. And, of course, all the ifs are the government's got to show resolve in sorting out Eskom and its debt. Mm. Got to show resolve in fixing up the budget deficit and the growth of government, which all involve very tough decisions. It involves firing people. It involves cutting expenditure. It involves upping taxation. It involves a whole lot of pain, but there will be gain after the pain if they are prepared to make the pain happen for want of a better Expression and he's he was of the opinion that um, this SAA strike will show the government's resolve in trying to sort out the many, many fundamental and material issues involved in the state owned enterprises. Okay, well, let's hope that that happens. I mean, that's out of our hands now. I'm just sort of putting together what happened with Lewis Group's results today and the market reaction to those results and also the CPI inflation number and also a disclosure of significant holding of Mr. Price Group ordinary shares and it was JP Morgan Chase & Co. now owns 8.97% of the ordinary issued shares of the company. I'm not saying that that's significant, but it's part of a movement, if you see what I mean. And, of course, the movement can be derailed if the government does nothing. Because, you know, if you want to take a negative view, if the government does nothing, 
and the picture painted by the finance minister a couple of weeks ago in the medium-term budget, if that picture is reality, if that comes to fruition, you know, we will be at the IMF's door in five years' time, knocking at their door for emergency bailout, and we'll have the RAND 2025 against the dollar. Mm. You know, so it's not for sure that it is going to happen, but I think it will, because quite frankly, there's no other alternative other than the alternative is the scenario I've painted. Do you think that we're going to stabilise, Wayne? I mean, you, as you said earlier in this conversation, you said you're by nature an optimist. Your yes. optimism is well, sometimes, I would put forward, that your optimism is, some, is sometimes misplaced. Yes, no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. You know, there's, there's one good thing in investments. Yes. If you hang around with the same view long enough, you eventually write. <laughs> so I thought, I thought this, I thought this upturn would happen this year. Okay, and I'm not saying things are going to be good. I'm just saying they're going to get better. So that's the extent of my optimism. But that was properly stymied by the power cuts in the first quarter and that massive negative number we got. So you know, maybe it happens next year. By the way, it didn't really affect the share market too much because although it hasn't performed as well as overseas markets. Share market's still up this year. It's not as though it's down 40%. You know, the share market itself is up, I don't know what, 8, 9, 10, 12%. I can't remember the number offhand. Mm. But, you know, so the market is up. Um, but, yes, I, I hold out some hope that this will happen next year. And, you know, sometimes the pessimists are right in South Africa. The pessimists of the last many years have been more right than what the optimists have. But the optimists will also have their turn in the sun. I mean, everything is cyclical, you know, things turn, things go bad, things go good. It's it's a cyclical environment we work in. Yes, it is indeed. Anything else you're looking at, Wayne, apart from your continued conviction that South African stocks are undervalued and that is borne yeah. out by what happened to Lewis Group today and maybe in 2020 will move ahead, albeit slowly. A little but, bit uh, later, yeah. yeah. Is that the same yeah, thing? I went, to, I went to a China presentation by Chinese economic specialist. Yes. And although he doesn't say China's going to fall in a heap, he made a few very pertinent points. First one was Chinese growth this year and next year could easily be as low, and remember low in the context of China, <laughs> at 5.5%. The market's wow. not expecting that. That's really low. Secondly, he said you cannot overemphasize the importance that China is putting on this Belt and Road policy. But that's not the point I want to make. The point is, he says, Africa is not part of that policy. And in his view, the so-called colonization of Africa by China is a thing of the past. In other words, checkbook diplomacy. He said, up until a year or so ago, you could... China invested in Africa, and whether you made a return or not wasn't really that relevant because they were expressing a political sentiment more than anything else. He said, now, in the last year, China's not putting money into Africa unless they can make a decent return and get the money back out again. Yeah. So that was that. Because he said all the money is going to Uzbekistan and, and India because that's part of the Belt and Road policy. He said they want to get easier access to essentially Western European markets. So that also made me think a little bit about all of this. And the sum, I suppose the sum result of this whole presentation and my investment thoughts, and to answer your question, is that we're reducing our mining exposure. And if Chinese growth is five and a half and they're not going to come and almost colonize Africa to secure 
uh, uh, raw materials, as sort of almost the conventional wisdom is, you know, these binding shares and the commodity prices could come under a little bit of pressure. And there's clear signs of the Chinese economy slowing down. New vehicle sales have actually fallen, and not dramatically, but they have clearly fallen. And, you know, maybe even electric vehicles sales, which have been rocketing in China, China is putting back some of those subsidies now. And this, this, this economist said, you know, no one's going to buy an electric vehicle if it's not subsidized because it's just not worth it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not worth it. You can buy it. If it's not subsidized, you can buy a superior petrol vehicle in comparison to the electric vehicle for the same price. So this whole commodity thing, so we relighting our commodity share exposure and we're putting that money into South African domestic shares. You're a Jaguar fan. Is there an electric Jaguar? Yes, yes there is one, yeah. And? Now, I mean, personally, I think electric vehicles, their mere success and all of the technological innovations going into electric vehicles, for me personally, I would never buy an electric vehicle now. Because if you say that electric vehicles are going to double in efficiency every three years, which is not impossible, by the way, battery technology and all of these things, that the car you buy today in three years' time is going to be a dinosaur. It is going to be absolutely and totally obsolete because there's so many leap forwards in uh, the development of electric vehicles. So I wouldn't touch an electric vehicle now. In 10 years' time, when they've reached some sort of technological plateau and batteries have reached some sort of plateau where they're not going to double in efficiency every three years, then I would think about buying an electric vehicle. But that's the same that's argument you would have said 10 years ago with a television. I mean, I've got this new uh, television. It's a big widescreen TV. I mean, that television that you bought, let's even say yeah. five years ago, is now completely obsolete because of what uh, no, technology has done. A television five years ago cost you 5,000 rand. An electric car nowadays cost you 1.2 million. Yeah. It's a little bit different in quantum. Wayne, thanks but, so you know, much for your time. TV... When yeah. you buy TV, you don't think about the trading value. When you buy a car, you do think about the trading value. <laughs> Very true. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMV Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Strictlybusinesspodcast.com, made possible by Prudential Investment Managers.